0: In this week's episode...
1: My family's from the Dominican Republic, so they're constantly being told, like, you can't eat this, you can't eat your rice and beans, because there's usually that stigma that only certain foods fit into that mold of diabetes.
0: But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone Podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Insalone Podcast. And as always, I'm absolutely delighted that you're here to join us for another week. Week after week after week, you show up because you are taking action on redefining your own diabetes which is something that already you should give yourself credit for and the guest that we have on today is a guest that i was really looking forward to having on for quite some time to be honest madeline vasquez who is living in new jersey and new york she is a registered dietitian diabetes educator insulin pump trainer and she is on a mission to empower people to manage their diabetes. She doesn't live with diabetes herself, but throughout her social media platforms, you can see how passionate Madeline is about educating people around diabetes, around nutrition, exercise, and just living a healthy, happy life with the condition. And I was really looking forward to getting her on this podcast because oftentimes, you will feel as if there's a disconnect between an endocrinologist or a nurse or a doctor or a dietitian, if they don't live with diabetes themselves. And this is something that I hear quite often when I speak to people. But what is so obvious when you hear Madeline talk about her passion and purpose behind what she does, she really, really takes into account the mental and emotional side of diabetes. And as I said to her in the podcast, Myself, I wish she was she was my dietitian when I was first diagnosed. So enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it, and I'll chat to you shortly. So look, like I said, we could probably continue talking off air for multiple hours. I would imagine because you were just an, an, a naturally good flowing speaker. Um, but you. Th- the first thing I'd love to ask you, Madeline, is most of the people that we have on this podcast are people who essentially are involved, in commas, involved with diabetes mm. unexpectedly, like they're diagnosed without wanting it for mm. lack of a better term, but you don't live with diabetes yourself. So where did you kind of have that pull towards helping people with diabetes?
1: That is a great question. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me on here as a guest. I appreciate it. I listen to your podcast all the time and I love the work that you're doing. But there is really a personal story behind why I am in the field of diabetes. And when I was growing up, my grandmother had diabetes. She passed away now. And that's where it all stemmed from. It was learning about everything that she went through because of diabetes. She was, she was living with type two at the, you know, at the time. And she really didn't have many resources in regards to seeing even a dietitian like myself, you know, at the time or a diabetes educator like myself and it was just, her condition just started progressing, progressing. And, you know, unfortunately she passed from a heart attack and it was very unfortunate, you know, because I I loved my grandmother very dearly and she's someone that I looked up to. And part of the person that I am now is because of her. So just watching her go through that without having, you know, the resources, the proper education really just drives me to want to be that for, you know, other people that don't necessarily have the opportunity to have access to these, to these resources overall.
0: Hmm. So what age did you kind of start to notice that or what age did you kind of start to have that feeling of this is something that somebody shouldn't have to go through and this is something that I would love to help with?
1: I was definitely in high school around that time and I feel that you know as a child you're around adults and they're talking so you you start to hear Certain things being talked about, you know, whatever they're going through health wise. So I, I, I would remember it, interactions with my grandmother where she was always very welcoming. She loved food. She she loved catering to people, and if you visited, she would she that's the first thing she would offer, right? And there would be instances where you know she would tell me, I can't eat that. And, you know, of course, as a child, like you automatically question like, oh, well, why can't you eat that? And then, you know, she would say, because I have diabetes. So, of course, like I'm still very young in that aspect where I don't know anything about these medical conditions or these term, these terminologies or maybe the medication and things like that, like I know now. But, you know, it was more or less like I knew something was happening with my grandmother's health, but she was also the type of person that she didn't want to burden other people. So she would not really disclose much. So it was it, a lot of this really stemmed from, you know, I'm sure she didn't want to be a, a burden, a burdensome to people, but she also didn't really, have the tools to be able to understand the severity of the condition if you didn't see a medical doctor or if you didn't take your medication. um, So that was also what really stems my passion. Like I want to make sure that people are aware of the resources and tools that they need to successfully manage whatever condition they currently have. And then I've always had a passion for food. Right. So it, it just made sense to go into the dietetics world and knowing that I could combine being able to educate people from a medical standpoint, but also from a food standpoint, but tying in their cultural backgrounds as well, because that was also one thing that that I noticed even now that I have uncles that have diabetes as well, where they're telling me that their doctors are telling them that they can't eat certain foods. So it all kind of came together very nicely.
0: When you look back to when your, your grandmother used to say, I can't eat this because I have diabetes or I have to steer clear of this because I have diabetes if you feel as if she kind of hadn't been getting the, the right guidance or tools or or support that she needed, that that idea of, I can't eat this because I'm diabetic. Do you feel as if she was told that, or that's kind of the assumption that she had made from her own experience with the condition?
1: A hundred percent of the time, you know, I, I, I can't really speak based off her experience because I was so young at that time. And You know, I was also not asking the right questions, but based off my current experience now, while working with people that have diabetes, almost 100% of the time they're told that they cannot eat these foods, whatever it is, right? Mm. So there's a lot of like fear that's usually like pushed on People that are living with diabetes and not not a lot of the, hey, let's help you have an understanding of how to manage your condition or what are the effects of different foods on your blood sugar or how can you still incorporate your cultural foods? Because I'm very big on culturally being in- inclusive in my practice and my work because my family is from the Dominican Republic so they're constantly being told like you can't eat this you can't eat your your rice and beans because you have diabetes so it really is like a priority to me to make sure that when i am working with someone they sort of have that pressure taken away from themselves that they have to magically change the way that they're eating in regards to the types of foods that they're eating, because there's usually that stigma that only certain foods fit into that mold of diabetes when you're diagnosed, or even while you're living with diabetes.
0: Yeah. That's always, even from my own perspective, a a hot topic in the sense that like, I am somebody who strongly believes that Yes, of course, eating certain types of foods can make it easier to manage your blood sugar, but we shouldn't be overly restrictive in the sense that we can't, we shouldn't just completely cut out things that we enjoy because the reality of it is there are ways to approach it in terms of insulin dosing and insulin timing and all these different things. But from your experience, obviously working within the medical field, Madeline, mm-hmm. why do you think people are told? Like you can't eat this, or you just come avoid this instead of you can't eat us to a certain extent, but this is the approach that we can take.
1: I honestly feel that a lot of the times there's not enough time to be able to deliver this information. So that's why it's easier for practitioners to just say stay away from this, stay away from that. And then they might be basing it off a previous patient that they've seen that that approach might work, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna work for everyone, you know? Because I work with multiple different people and I've worked with people that have tried the low carb. I've worked with people that have tried, you know, keto, I, I, I work with people that they eat a variety of foods in their diet and everyone always has a different outcome. Mm. Right. And for me, it's more or less like if you're going to adapt a way of eating, you want to make sure that it's sustainable and realistic for your life. Right. So I think that there is research on very numerous topics when it comes to diabetes and nutrition. But ultimately, I think that if people are equipped with the right tools and information, then they're able to figure out and tailor their diabetes to their individual health.
0: You're hitting the nail on the head here. Big <laughs> time. And that's, Madeline, why I love even just your Instagram page so much, because it highlights how like you should not just completely avoid things that you want. Like You don't have to completely cut out carbohydrates. There are ways to approach eating different types of foods in different ways so that you are consistently eating in a way that like you said yourself, is sustainable and maintainable Mm long-term. And even when I speak to my own clients, and even when I speak to myself in my diabetes brain, I always say there is no perfect diet or perfect way to eat because everybody is completely different. Everybody's commitments, schedules, routines, likes, dislikes are completely different. And you need to be able to consistently eat and fuel your body and be active and manage your diabetes in a way that's enjoyable to a certain extent, but also something that you can do long-term and super, super low carb works for some people. Super, super low carb does not work for me at all because I love carbohydrates so much. I very high carbohydrate, but it's about manipulating your your diabetes management around that specifically so that essentially you can accommodate for the way that you want to live
1: exactly and i love that so much and it's so great to see other people doing that and you know integrating that in part of their coaching because oftentimes you know, from a practitioner standpoint, you know, being on social media, it could be a very dangerous place for, you know, people that are living with with diabetes, because there's a lot of information on there. And it's great to have information and it's great to have resources and tools. But with that comes misinformation as well. Mm-hmm. And, oftentimes it can do more harm than good. So I love that, you know, that's something that you do as well and that you're promoting because it's very important for people to know that diabetes is not a one size fit all approach. It's very individualized and there's a lot of trial and error. (laughs) And I love to emphasize that to my patients and clients all the time, you need to be open-minded and you need to give yourself that grace and that opportunity to learn because it's not going to be a one size fit all and you're not a robot and every day won't be the same. So you might eat something today and if your blood sugar (laughs) is sailing and then you might eat that same thing the next day and you're your blood sugar gives you a completely different outcome than the day before. And that's because there's so many different factors that impact our blood sugars that people are unaware. And they just think that it's just food and medication. And Mm. that's not the case.
0: Hmm. I think even that's where a lot of people can kind of feel that disconnect between, you know, the support or the guidance that they're getting and then the reality of actually living with the condition, you know, because sometimes it can be simplified a lot in the sense that it's like count your carbs, take your insulin, count your carbs, take your insulin, but we're not taking into account stress, hormones, sleep, lack of sleep, hydration, like all these different things that, can and will have an impact on a blood sugar that in my opinion are just as important to understand for you to manage your diabetes as well, they're as important as counting your carbs and taking your insulin because they can have just as much of an impact. But with all the patients that you've worked with, Madeline, is there common struggles or common issues or common problems that you see people coming to you with
1: i think the biggest thing apart from not having a full understanding of how food impacts their blood sugar i think the biggest struggle that i see is the ability to remain consistent and when you add that pressure of don't eat this don't eat that on top of just life Mm. then it makes it even more difficult to stay consistent with something as simple as monitoring blood sugars or even taking your medication because you're, you know, you're, it's like you're set up to fail from the, from the beginning. And I think that a lot of that is just from not being able to have the understanding or education on, Hey, this is what, you know, is happening to your body now that you're living with diabetes, you know, this is just even something as simple as understanding the different types of insulin, right? Like no one's really sitting down with you to explain that. And then going into the umbrella of food, it's also understanding the impact of carbohydrates, of fats, of protein, you know, on your blood sugar. But then when we talk about carbohydrates is why are carbohydrates so important? Like, I feel like that's overlooked, Mm. but then taking that a step deeper is understanding that there's different types of carbohydrates. So I think that there's a lot of missing dots. and, And, and I, I think that a lot of it is not having the time to sit down with someone and explain it or maybe going to an endocrinologist that might not necessarily have the team like a dietitian or a diabetes educator to sit down with these patients to maybe do the 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 education that they don't necessarily have the time for because you know to be honest they're they're seeing a lot of patients hmm. in a day and they probably only have 15 minutes to to discuss. So it's it, it, it's more or less like, all right, it's very superficial. Like, how are you doing? What's the A1C looking like? Is this working? And then maybe they download reports <laughs> and then they're looking at the reports, but they're not really focusing on the behavior. Hmm. And that's why I love my job so much because I can actually sit down with a patient for anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and really kind of get down to the nitty gritty and focus on those behavioral changes and focus on getting to understand that person beyond their diabetes and not just, they're just another patient or another number per se.
0: What do you think would help? bridge that gap between the, I suppose, the lack of time and the lack of information or support that somebody may actually need? What do you think is required for maybe an endocrinologist or or a practice or a hospital so that everybody can get that type of service, because already the impression that I get from you is you're incredibly passionate about this and I can see it. And even the conversation that we were having before we press record, you're so passionate about it and you are the type of dietitian or educator that I would want in my corner. I'm sure everybody listening, (laughs) everybody listening, I'm sure, I'm sure can agree with me on that. But what do you think would help kind of bridge that gap between let's call it your personal service? and how effective and beneficial it is compared to a service or a practice that's just kind of having too many numbers in the door each day?
1: Well, I think that that gap is slowly closing, but there's still a lot of work to be done. But I I, I fully believe that it has a lot to do with acknowledging the advantages for a patient with diabetes that they need that multi multiple disciplinary approach, meaning that they're going to see the endocrinologist, they're going to see the the dietitian, they're going to see, you know, the diabetes educator, the nurse, and and even a therapist, right, or a mm. social worker. Like let's say if you're working in um in a in an area or a community where resources might be very limited where they might need help navigating access to food, access to medication and things like that. So I think it's just a matter of people understanding that it takes a village to manage diabetes and that you can't expect to run a practice with just, let's say, a practitioner and that that's gonna help get you the outcomes that you want because there's so many different aspects aspects to managing diabetes.
0: Mm. You mentioned there previously, Madeline, about how important it is for people to be consistent. Why do you think it's so important for people to be consistent and what should people be consistent with?
1: So that's a great question. And I think that overall consistency is important because it allows you to really see those outcomes that you may want to see. But I also think that it's how you approach that, right? Because oftentimes what I find is that people are overwhelmed with wanting to change too many things at once. And Mm -hmm. then that makes it very difficult to sustain or maintain that consistency, And then they end up just giving up and not, you know, going through with the change. But overall, there needs to be routine in our life, regardless if we have diabetes or not, to be able to see, you know, success in any outcome that we are looking to achieve. So I think that there's a lot of pressure that might be put on to be perfect, and I'm gonna say the air quotes because (laughs) there's no such thing as perfection when it comes to managing diabetes, Mm. that it makes it more overwhelming where you find that it's not even reachable at that point. Mm. So when I'm working with patients, it's more or less of how can we approach this in a way that is going to be realistic but also, you know, Rome was not built in one day and we're going to need to take small steps to be able to get you to where you want to be. So, even if we're working on two three two or three things at a time, that is okay. And when and when I'm working with someone and we set those small goals that I that I refer to as my smart goals, people come back in a month and they're already noticing differences mm. and it's not anything that is not approachable because it's things that are going to be practical that you can apply on a day-to-day so I think that that also helps with being consistent
0: mm. yeah 100 couldn't agree more and I, th- I think Even that idea of success with diabetes is a, it's, for me, it's almost like a bit of a gray area because, well, I suppose the way I think about it is there, there's no finish line with your diabetes. You don't get to a point and you say, all right, that's it. I'm done. I completed this. I've done everything I've had to do. And I can forget about it now. Like the reality of it is, It's every day, every week, every month, every year. And sometimes trying to define what success with the condition is to you is a difficult thing to do. But even from my own perspective, because I'm obviously hyper aware of my own diabetes and the reality of it and what it requires, success to me with my diabetes is just like going to bed each night, feeling as if the day was a success. You know, did I have energy? Was I in a good mood? Was I not fighting too many highs and too many lows? You know, did I feel in control or did I feel confident with it? And then it's almost like just having that grit and having that ability to just tomorrow wake up and do the exact same thing again. Well, not exact same, but have it, treated with the same attitude and treat it with the same respect and severity that it deserves and just continue with it day-to-day, day-to-day. And for me, that's what success is because it's not just the long-term. It's not just my A1C in six months, my A1C in a year, You know how I will manage the condition when I'm 80 years old. Because I know that that long-term health is built from what I'm doing right now, what I'm doing today, what I'm doing this week, what I'm doing the next hour. Because essentially that's what my long term's built from. So success to me is like just being that consistent each day. And I think that's what you are, well, that's what I think you're explaining with your clients and highlighting, which is a really nice thing to hear because I even had a conversation with somebody earlier today who didn't have the best experience the last time they went into the hospital. So it's refreshing to hear this sort of passion and and purpose behind what you do. So it's great to hear.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. And there's a lot of point with what you are saying as well, that success looks different for everyone. And it might just be as simple as you saying, I just want to be able to get through the day and not have a low that might be your goal and if someone comes into my office and tells me that's what I want to prioritize cuz i think a lot of it too is like listening to the the patient right or client like because even as an educator i might be going in the visit with this agenda of like what are things that i want to educate that patient on but i think that most importantly what i've learned through the years as an as an educator is you have to be able to listen to that person's need, right? And that looks different for everyone. So someone might come into my office and say, listen, I just want to be able to get through the day and not have lows. Then that's what we're going to spend 30 minutes to to an hour on. And with that comes understanding insulin, understanding the timing, understanding how to treat a low blood sugar, understanding why a low happens, right? So there's a lot of different avenues that I can take that, but I understand and I honor that I'm prioritizing what that patient wants the minute they come through the door versus trying to push my agenda to that patient, even though I'm an educator. Because at the end of the day, the patient knows themselves more than, than I do because they're the ones living with the condition on a day to day. And, you know, diabetes is 24 hours. Like there's no light, like light switch on and off. Like Mm. it's 24 hours. So I think when we start approaching it that way, we're able to meet people halfway and they're able to get the successful outcomes that they want.
0: How would you go about Madeline setting goals and targets for a client? Because we kind of briefly touched on short-term compared to long-term and obviously people's different needs or things they're struggling with are always going to be varied. So if somebody comes into your office and says, look, I'm I'm really struggling. I don't really even know what I'm struggling with. I'm just having a hard time with my diabetes. How do you go about setting realistic short-term targets, short-term goals, and ultimately realistic and beneficial long-term Goals or targets?
1: So, I mean, every patient has a story, right? And every patient has different avenues that they want to take the visit. But, you know, there are standard guidelines that I follow, like as a practitioner, in regards to, you know, what are those blood sugar targets, right? And that's going to vary based off the person's age. And, even though there's that, you know, quote unquote standard guideline, sometimes even if that target is what we're reaching for, that might not be realistic at the moment, especially if that patient is walking in with a blood sugar of two or 300. So I can't expect that patient to be right at target or like overnight because that's just not possible but that's where focusing more or less on like the behavior changes really comes into play to help and kind of you know assess more or less like where is this person struggling and where is there an opportunity for me to educate so that way we can then build a plan to get them from point a to point b to overall get to the end all which is improving, let's say, target blood sugars. Like Mm. there's, I think that there's, it's not as clear as, okay, here, this is where your blood sugar needs to be. It's also me collecting and gathering information about that person. So that way I can make sure that they're, I understand fully why they're not meeting those, you know, those those goals per se. And then- once I educate the person, majority of the time, they already leave the office, having an understanding of what they want to focus on. So that also says a lot about the information that I'm, you know, relaying to them. Because once I get to that part, and I was like, well, you know, what would be two or three goals that you want to work on there, it comes natural to them, because they feel equipped to be able to make these changes and they're very practical changes. Like we're not trying to conquer the world here, you know?
0: Hmm. I think how you put it, being equipped and having like a a diabetic toolbox is essential because even somebody coming into your office, the vast majority of the time for the rest of the month, the rest of the, the quarter, the rest of the year, it's them and their diabetes. And that's why, I'm I'm so passionate about making people aware of themselves and their own condition because the reality of it is you have to be your own doctor to a certain extent because you're the one waking up with a hypo at three o'clock in the morning. You're the one worrying about a low blood sugar when you're driving to work. You're the one that's worrying about high blood sugar on a night out. And it's about understanding and being equipped with these tools so that everything somebody learns from you They can confidently implement that into their lifestyle, into their routine, so that they benefit from it short-term and long-term. And I think something, again, that I love so much about your Instagram page, Madeline, is the fact that you really highlight, you can eat carbohydrate, you can eat carbohydrate, because a lot of the time, we can be under the impression that like, oh, I'm living with diabetes, I have to completely avoid carbohydrate, which obviously isn't the case. Mm -hmm. So- how would you go about reintroducing carbohydrate into somebody's diet or if somebody's listening right now who, who does have a fear of carbohydrates, what way should they view it or what sort of approach should they take to try and get more carbohydrate in safely?
1: And I think that that's something that every day I have to constantly remind people of because there's, again, that stigma like carbs are bad for you. You shouldn't be eating carbs. And there's a lot of people that are living with diabetes that are not eating those carbs. And it's very unfortunate, right? But when I am working with someone who is not eating carbs or are avoiding them completely, I think my focus is usually to give them an understanding of what carbohydrates are and why they're so important for the body. And that's when I get a little like scientific with, with my patients where, you know, I love using analogies to give them that understanding. Because sometimes these, you know, when you're educating someone, you could be going into this very complex route and they're not really understanding it. But once they gain that understanding of what are carbohydrates, why are carbohydrates important? Why why do our bodies need carbohydrates? But then, you know, we go into the different types of carbohydrates, people start to understand like, oh, so I can eat carbs. And then, you know, that's when we get into the Well, let's start introducing them and then let's start, you know, seeing what happens to the blood sugar when you are introducing them. And a lot of the times people are able to realize like, oh, wow, I can eat rice and my blood sugar is still on on target when I eat rice. And that to me is like the most rewarding thing ever, because it allows them to be more flexible with their diet and, you know. Someone that is used to working with people that are from the Latin community. Majority of the time they're told, like, you can't have the rice, you can't have the beans, you can't have the tortillas. Right. Mm. So it's just once I explain to them, hey, yes, you can. But let me teach you how to do that. It's like the world has (laughs) changed.
0: And where do you think, Madeline, that fear comes from? Like if somebody is afraid of eating carbohydrate, which is almost quite a rational way to think when you live with diabetes, because it has an immediate impact on blood sugar, but does that fear come from their own idea of what they think frequent high blood sugars lead to, or is it from a fear that's kind of like ingrained into that person from somebody like an an endocrinologist, for example?
1: I think it starts from diagnosis because it's a repeated pattern that I hear from a lot of people that are living with diabetes. Like, my doctor told me not to eat this. My doctor told me not to eat that. So Mm. because their blood sugars are really high, they automatically associate, I don't want to have high blood sugars because if I have high blood sugars, then I'm having these complications that might arise and they're correlating it, you're hearing someone that you trust with your health and your care to stay away from X, Y, and Z, then you're gonna do whatever it takes to make sure that your blood sugars are improving or that you're doing what you have to do to make sure that your blood sugars are in a healthy range. So I think that a lot of the times that's what I hear because I usually ask my patients, like, where did you hear that? Mm -hmm. Like, that's part of my, (laughs) one of the questions that I ask. like, and then, you know, they tell me, all right, you know, my doctor told me or I read it online or a friend told me, or, you know, they're getting that information from an outside source. And then it it makes it very difficult to unteach that because Mm -hmm. they're so like, grounded and honed to the fact that I can't eat carbs and I shouldn't be eating them. So sometimes I'm working with people that don't even want to entertain the idea of eating carbs. And for me, as an educator, I'm all about meeting that person where they are. Like, I'm not going to push what I believe to someone because that's not ideal
0: that was part one of this episode if you are listening to this on the day of the release part two will be out tomorrow but if you're listening on any other day part two is the next episode on our list